Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast. My name is Akun Wong and I am the Editor-in-Chief of Football Garbage Time. Uh, and instead of my usual co-host, Ryan Whitfield, our senior staff writer and resident Patriots fan and resident I hate everything and everybody's an idiot guy, <laughs> we actually are joined by a special guest who is actually not a special guest because he's been around the block. We're joined by Scott King, who essentially is the guy who started it all for us because uh, for those who aren't familiar, Scott was the founder of Football Extra Points, which is a Fox Sports affiliated website uh, where I actually started writing. And uh, Scott's been affiliated with a number of other websites, but he was actually uh, the guy who, when he decided to wrap things up with Football Extra Points, was one of the main contributors uh, with getting Football Garbage Time off the ground. So it's, it had fun to Scott. I can't here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Really excited to be here and, and excited to be talking about fantasy football. We just met yeah, I mean, we got we got a lot of fantasy football to talk about, and I know a lot of people are thinking, wow, you know, what could you pop? And I saw that it, it came up on her Twitter feed. I think he was tweeting out at you, uh, Scott, you know, you guys are drafting already for fantasy football. And, and the answer to that question is yes, because we have been drafting, for all those of you who have been following, in a best ball fantasy football league. And uh, let me explain to you guys uh, what that is, for those who don't know. Um, with a best ball fantasy football league, uh, they're also referred to as MFL 10 leagues. These are fantasy football leagues where you don't have to set up any lineups. There are no pickups, no trades, none of that stuff. Whoever you draft is who you're stuck with. But each week, only your top-scoring players are included in your total points of the week. So that means if you draft three quarterbacks and two totally flop and one goes off, no worries. It's only that one that's going to count. Now, because scoring is set up this way and because you, can make, you can't make any changes to your team after, after the draft, the strategy involved here is very, very different. The draft, obviously, is very important. Now, scoring is typically half PPR, and you generally have to field at least one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, and a tight end every week on draft.com. And, uh, and, you have, and so you get 18 pl- total players uh, on your total team, so to speak. On fanball.com, who runs the traditional MFL 10 league, you actually have to field a def- defensive team unit as well. So they give you 20 total players. All right, so now that you know how to play, let's drop some knowledge on all of you uh, about, uh, about the uh, strategy that we've seen through our draft and through, through looking at other drafts with best ball fantasy football. Let's go ahead and just get started. All right, so the first question that we have here is dealing with the old-school strategy of drafting a running back followed by a running back in the first two rounds of the draft. Now, you, if you, any of you have played fantasy football, you know that that was essentially the basic strategy of the 2000s, but as we hit 2010 and on, we've seen a significant increase in running back by committees and an uncertainty in team backfields. Plus, with the league going pass-happy, wide receiver values have increased significantly, particularly for these PPR-type leagues, to the point that it's not unusual to see half the first-round picks be wide receivers or even quarterbacks and to see people going even wide receiver, wide receiver. So let's start with Scott, because, Scott, uh, you made the observation when we were going through our draft that there were a lot of running backs being drafted in the first two rounds. And to that point, we've finished 11 rounds here in the 10-team league, and 34% of the picks so far 
are running backs, a lot of them in the first two or three rounds. So what are your thoughts regarding this running back, running back strategy in best ball? You know, as we said, uh, there's a lot of them have been selected early in our draft. We've seen them uh, reflected in other drafts, and we've seen them uh, reflected in other types of strategies. But what do you think? Is this something that's viable in best ball, or do you think this is a big mistake going back to this old-school strategy? Yeah, I think it, this is really an interesting um, way to see the, the players starting to fall early in, in obviously, uh, the first draft I have going on this year. And I had mm-hmm. a position. I was drafting on the turn at 10. So I got to right. watch the whole draft kind of come to me for a while. And like you said, we, we went away from this running back first round, even running back, running back uh, concept several years ago. But over the last couple of years, you've seen guys like Ezekiel Elliott, Dave Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Gurley, kind of starting to pick up steam. And as the draft is coming to me uh, in this league, it was just apparent that we were just seeing these running backs come off the board. And I think yeah. it's a real sign that, you know, the running backs position has have learned how to survive in the NFL of today. These guys are all heavily targeted in the past game. You know, they're, they're all settling in in the 1,000, 1,200-yard range, it looks like with a ton mm-hmm. of targets, a ton of catches, and they really evolved their game. And I think we're going to see in this year's fantasy drafts, you know, we're going to see at least half of the first round go running back. And and like we saw in our draft, I think it's it's going to be very heavy in the first couple of rounds that we're going to see these running backs coming off the board. And, and I went running back, running back there at the turn. I think, right. you know, for me, I was looking at, uh, I had um, Kareem Hunt sitting out there and, and uh, Saquon Barkley. And for me, those were the best two players on the board. I mean, so if you look at some of the guys that went right after me, uh, Fournette was drafted shortly after I picked, uh, Gordon, Cook, uh, Freeman. I mean, these guys are just flying off the board. And, and it's, uh, you know, that really stood out to me in this first round. Yeah, I Interesting because I think uh, I think 13 of the first 20 picks were running backs. That that's pretty significant. The others obviously were wide receivers. But to your point, the ones that went off the board earlier tended to be those running backs who were involved in the passing game. The first four uh, picks, super obvious: Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, uh, and then soon thereafter, Alvin Kamara, and then as you said on the turn, Kareem Hunt and Saquon Barkley. So tell me about Saquon Barkley because you know there has been so much hype over Saquon Barkley. I mean, you cannot believe how much hype that's been out there. In fact, as I quoted last uh, in the last podcast, he actually set a record for the uh, largest selling uh, jersey from a first night draft pick uh, in the history of NFL football. So that is, so people, obviously the fans are really, really excited about Saquon Barkley. And if you saw him play at Penn State, you probably would be excited about him too. But, you know, what was it that attracted you to Saquon Barkley so early in a best ball draft? Is there was it some element of the fact that there's lower risk because it is best ball or was it a situation where you said, well, this one's half PPR. So I would have taken them there anywhere in a half, anyway in a half PPR league. Yeah, I think, I think those are definitely two of the factors, you know, best ball kind of gives you, I think a little bit of a, of a parachute or, or backup to, to help you out. And, and in general, I'm a little more uh, open to taking a risk, but I also think, you know, if you look at the recent success of these rookie running backs that have come into the league, I mean, you just look over the last mm-hmm. couple of years, you've got Ezekiel Elliott, you've got Kamara last year, you've got Kareem Hunt, uh, yep. you've got uh, Fournette had a very good year, uh, Cook was on a way to a good year, and, and typically I shy away from these rookie running backs, but 
you know, last year I had uh, Delvin Cook lined up and I didn't get him. I had Fournette lined up and I didn't get him. And, and I know Cook got injured, but, um, you know, this kind of gave me, opened me up to being willing to take a, a rookie running back. And you look at the situation he's going to in New York, you know, with a quarterback who can, you know, move the offense and throw the ball. Um, you know, for me, I, I didn't want to, I was willing to take that risk and kind of step out a little bit and see what he could do for me this year. And, and hopefully I, I end up with a, you know, Kareem Hunt or uh, Alvin Kamara right. and not end up with, uh, you know, somebody that's on the sideline, not giving me points. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think, I, I think a lot of people feel the same way that you do. If you look at the way that the first half of the draft so far has turned out in the first six rounds, we had a number of rookies go, including Darius Geis and Royce Freeman uh, as well as uh, Rashad Penny and Ronald Jones uh, and Sony Michelle. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of excitement over these rookie running backs, but I, I, I mean, I, in my experience, when you go into a PPR draft, a, a season long PPR draft, or even a keeper draft with limited keepers, you know, something short of a dynasty draft, you don't see rookies going off so early. I mean, you think that um, that the reason why we see this is not, is not only the excitement level this early in the off season, but also, as you mentioned, this kind of cover. Uh, when you're in the best ball format, you can take your risks, take more risks on these rookie running backs, and hoping that you catch lightning in the bottle, and that uh, maybe you take some more, you know, more um, uh, veteran types uh, back end of the draft uh, to kind of make sure that you have a, a higher floor. I mean, that that's kind of how, how I felt about it because when I, I mean, if you look at it, you can get all the way down to the 10th and 11th round, and you have these kind of you know, old veterans who just still have a, a, a role on their team, like Marshawn Lynch, that you could take, uh, and that allows you to take a, a risk of things like uh, Darius Geis early, Rashad Penny early. Uh, Saquon Barkley, I don't put them in the same category. I think he's a little bit less of a risk because, I mean, heck, you don't, you don't take somebody second overall and sit him on the bench. So I'm pretty sure he's going to get a ton of playing time. But things like Sony Michelle, which is unclear what his, what his role is going to be over there in New England. You, you, you know, do you have the same feeling about that, that – that the running back is actually relatively deep this year, even in a PPR or a best ball league. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you nailed it. When you've got guys like, like Lynch going this late in these drafts and, and some of these guys um, still available and sitting around, I mean, Duke Johnson, somebody I had a lot of success with last year. Um, right. In several leagues, he went in the, uh, he went in the 11th round. So um, yeah, I think there's, you know, the, this influx of youth now, I mean, if we look back just at our, our draft, how many of these guys are within the first, you know, four years of their, of their career? I mean, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, right. Kamora, and then Hunt right. and Barkley. I mean, you're talking about four of the first ten guys, I think, three to, three to four years into their career. And Gurley's, you know, the, the kind of the veteran there probably sitting around around five, I think. So. Right, right. And Jordan yeah, Howard, too. But he, he hasn't been around that long. Exactly. Yep. And then you got Fournette. So I think it's, uh, I think there's definitely a youth movement at the running back. And I think, you know, th- th- these players learn and adapt to what the league's doing. And, and they saw what was happening at the running back position and uh, they want to be successful in the league too. So they've adapted now. And now we have, you know, kind of a new running back, maybe an old uh, LT throwback where you're getting a hundred targets or 80 targets or something crazy as, right. as a running back. And also, you know, tearing off 1,200 yards and eight touchdowns on the ground. And these are numbers yeah, that yeah. are going to move you up in fantasy for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And definitely. 
in this half PPR format, um, seeing as how these guys are all uh, have potential to be involved in the passing game as well. So let's uh, let's go ahead and ring the bell on that topic. There's a lot of stuff to talk about uh, there, but there is a related topic that I want to ask you about here, Scott, and that's this idea of stacking. So uh, stacking refers to selecting two players from the same team, usually at the same position, that are usually very close in value. So stacking essentially hedges your bet on a positional unit or an entire offense, depending on the type of stack that you're using. So if you're using wide receiver, wide receiver, or wide receiver, tight end, a wide receiver, quarterback, you know, two players or more that are essentially close in value. Uh, in theory, since it's best ball and all your players are in play every week, it increases your chances of at least one player in the stack contributing each and every week. So that if you have a wide receiver, wide receiver, like we saw Joanne do in the draft with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, uh, then you uh, maybe one of those guys will go off and the other one won't, but you'll, you won't be risking if one of them completely flops uh, and, and all the uh, targets go to Adam Thielen one week or all the targets go to Stefan Diggs the other week. Or as Ryan did, you might have wide receiver quarterback, um, and he actually went one further. He went wide receiver quarterback and tight end with Brady, Edelman, and Gronkowski. So you're basically hedging your bets on where the production is going to come from in an offense. So let me ask you about that. Now, what, what, is, uh, what are your thoughts? in basketball fantasy football uh so in best ball it's a little bit different approach like you like we've been talking about than a standard league in a standard mm-hmm. league i'm 100 on board with quarterback wide receiver quarterback tight end stacking especially in a high-powered offense like with brady and gronk or back in the um you know, you'd, you'd stack uh, Aaron Rodgers and any one of his tight ends. In best ball, uh, there's more opportunity to kind of spread the ball around and take a couple of tight, a couple of wide receivers along with the quarterback. For me personally, it wasn't a strategy going into it, but mm-hmm. I ended up landing Aaron Rodgers. And when I was getting ready to pick up a tight end, the fact that Jimmy Graham is now with Aaron Rodgers moved him up the board for me. So I definitely took advantage of that stack. Um, But I definitely think in a best ball league, you're more willing to take multiple players of the same position. So I would be much more willing to take uh, two or three running backs, especially take, for example, the New England backfield, right? I mean, you could take all of those guys because at some point, somebody's going to get 15 points for you in a game every week. You just don't know who it is. So, just load up on the New England secondary, or I mean the New England running back situation. You know, maybe the New England uh, receiver situation now because we don't really know who's going to be catching the ball. I went with Hogan myself late, uh-huh. kind of hoping he was going to see some balls come his way. Um, but I definitely uh, think that it's a it's a good strategy in general to to gather up some of these uh, groups, um, specifically with some teams that like to spread the ball around. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So in, in other words, what we're doing here is we're investing in the position of that team. So the, in other words, the New England running back as opposed to a specific New England running back. I mean, if you have Michelle and you have uh, White and you have, you know, uh, uh, I guess who Rex Burke had, uh, you know, it's unclear who's going to be left there. I don't know if Mike Gillsley will be part of that anymore uh, come the time of the beginning of the season. I mean, you got a bunch of guys there, but if you take two or three of those, uh, although you have to deal with the bye week issues, um, the fact of the matter is that uh, you're basically investing in the backfield for that team. And in a Bilicek offense, 
uh, one running back almost every week will go off, as you said, Scott, and that I mean that kind of ensures or hedges your bets, so to speak. But it does take away from your opportunity to kind of spread your risk around. Um, you know, I mean, there's always the possibility that Belichick that day decides that he's going to run all pass plays or something really, you know, you, you can never yeah. guess what the hood is going to do. But, um, but I, you know, I, I agree with you. I actually think it is a legitimate strategy. It's something that's really interesting. And I'm going to mention this, actually. Um, DraftSharks.com actually ran a statistical analysis based on 2015 and 2016 MFL 10 data from over 21,000 teams. And they concluded that stacking generally provides you with a TD and a half bump per season per stack versus a similarly situated replacement. So they did this kind of analysis where they said, well, who, what if you took the next best available uh, as opposed to taking the stacked running, wide receiver or the stacked running back? And they were looking primarily at similar position stacks. So wide receiver, wide receiver, running back, running back, you know, situations where there was a running back by committee, so to speak, and seeing how that really impacted it. But they also looked at those other types of, you know, the, the type of stacks that you would normally use in regular fantasy football, like you said, uh, Scott's quarterback, wide receiver, quarterback, running back, quarterback, tight end, or some, some combination of those things. And so it appears, at least from their uh, analysis from the MFL 10 data, that there is a potential benefit here if you're to take the stack. But, you know, there is also the potential for you to, to lose out more. So I, I can, the best way to put it is I think it increases your ceiling but it kind of lowers your floor a little bit because you're not really spreading your risk around. You know, think about yeah, buying a bunch of stock, but just kind of investing in the same one over and over again. Yeah, if you hit it, you're gonna hit it big. But if you don't, you you might suffer a little bit week to week. Um, so so let's talk about a kind of comparable strategy to that, and that's handcuffing because you know everyone knows in fantasy football, in regular season long redraft fantasy football, handcuffing can be necessary. And we've already seen a situation, and this is not really a handcuffing situation. This may have been more of a stacking situation, but we've already seen one develop in the last two days where someone can be helped or hurt by, by stacking or not stacking or handcuffing or not handcuffing. And that's the Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram situation. Because Mark Ingram now is suspended for four games due to PEDs. He's, he's already appealed. The appeal has been denied. So he's, he's almost certainly going to serve those four-game suspension. And then keep in mind that the Saints now, then have a bye week in week six. So he's back on week five against the Redskins, and then there's a week off, and then he's back after that. And so when you're playing 16 weeks, you're losing five of them. You're really only getting 11 weeks of production. Now, if you had drafted both Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, you probably will benefit from this because Alvin Kamara will probably get more of those carries during the four weeks in which Mark Ingram will be out. So let me ask you about that because handcuffing is traditionally something you see and best ball fantasy, but it's something that we all kind of employ in season long. You know, what are your thoughts about handcuffing as a strategy in best ball? I, I think it definitely depends on on the player that you're handcuffing with and the, the potential of them. So Ingram and Kamara, I think, are, are almost uh, an equal or uh, very close to each other as far as production potential. And you could – it's a clear handcuff as well, right? You know it's Kamara and Ingram are the two guys. I think back to, you know, our New England example, in their backfield, there's so much confusion. In a, you couldn't just make a, a guess and say, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handcuff with one guy. I think you're a little limited. So I, I definitely think in situations where you know it's clear, I mean, I've got Kareem Hunt, and I'm you know, kind of going to yep. uh, give away a little bit of my strategy, but I'm obviously looking to, <laughs> to handcuff him later on. 
uh, because that's yep. a clear situation where if he goes down, you know, Ware's going to pick up some of the some of the slack. So right, uh, right, and that would have been a great handcuff last year too. Yeah, absolutely. Because you never know, uh, you know, people are going to get hurt right. and or suspended. I mean, there's still plenty of time before the season comes up. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that's something you want to look at, and it, it all depends on the position. Now, if you've got you know, if you have the opportunity to grab somebody else that can get you good production from another team and the handcuff mm-hmm. is not as clear, then you definitely don't want to burn that, that pick and maybe end up guessing wrong, which I've done. I think there was several years ago, DeMarco Murray was on the Cowboys. I think he got hurt, and I bet on Dunbar. Oh, and right. ended up going the other way, and, and I, right. I got burned. So um, you got to be a little careful uh, to make sure you know exactly who you're handcuffing to and uh, I've guessed wrong many times in the backfield uh, so you, it's it's never a sure thing unless you've got a clear situation like like New Orleans right and actually the the interesting thing is that you know you mentioned Spencer Ware Kareem Hunt and, and of course with best ball you have a tendency to draft like we are very very early in the offseason I mean obviously we're not even anywhere near um, the preseason yet, so we don't even know what's going to happen. We don't know what injuries will happen. And we saw what happened in, 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 the, in the pair that you mentioned, actually, Kareem Hunt and Spencer Ware. You know, last year it was the flip, right? Because, we, you know, everyone thought Spencer Ware had a great opportunity in Kansas City. And Kareem Hunt, well, there's this great rookie. He's back there. But, hey, he's never going to see the light of day because Spencer Ware is going to get all the carries. And all of a sudden, Spencer Ware is injured. Kareem Hunt becomes a top 10 running back for the rest of the season. Had you taken both of them, you would not be disappointed by that. You know, you would have been very happy having that combination, even though Spencer Ware would have not contributed one ounce to your fantasy football season. Let me ask you about a different position in handcuffing, because everyone does traditionally think of running backs or handcuffing. What about quarterbacks? And I'll give you an example from last year. You know, Carson Wentz and Nick Foles. Clearly, I mean, that's uh, kind of the best case scenario for a handcuff of a quarterback. But uh, another, another good one, Sam Bradford and Case Keenum. Uh, you know, you, you, Sam Bradford was a starter at the beginning of the season. Had you taken him and Keenum, Keenum would have uh, been made you very happy at the end of the season. Same thing of Carson Wentz. Uh, Nick Foles would have made you very happy at the end of the season. What are your thoughts about handcuffing your quarterback in a best ball league? Um, I, I think that's a tough one in a best ball league. I mean, if you're looking at a 10-team best ball league, if everyone in the, in the league drafts two quarterbacks, that still leaves 12 starters. So right. I was lucky enough in our league, I've landed uh, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. Now I'm, I sacrificed wide receiver a little bit to do that, and I, right. I've actually noticed after I made the pick that I've they're, they've got the same bye week, so I'm gonna have to pick up a third one. So I think it's right. uh, I think in a best ball league, there's there's too many good options out there to get guaranteed points every week, but in a standard league. It, you need, especially these quarterbacks who maybe have a little bit of an injury history like Bradford and now Wentz, you want to be ready to pull that trigger right away and uh, grab the backup if, if you have any concerns or if you have an open, you know, a lot of times if you have plenty of bench spots, you take a risk on somebody or running back who flames out right. early on. Dump him and stash a quarterback. It, it can never hurt. You can always move him. But in, in best ball, I think where you're locked in, there's, there's there's plenty of uh, of good quarterbacks out there you can get on your roster. Yeah, and I think that in, in our situation with 10 teams, you probably have a little bit more flexibility. But if you go to like a 12-team or bigger best ball league, I, then in that scenario, I, I, I wouldn't hate the idea 
of taking two starters and then your third or fourth quarterback just being just ensuring your investment um, because there, there might not be uh, another viable starter out there or one that you actually like. I mean, you might be stuck with like a Tyrod Taylor or somebody who, who doesn't have a guaranteed role for the entirety of the season coming up. And as you mentioned, Scott, you really can't do anything about that uh, in best ball because after you draft, you're totally locked in. All right. Lots of great information there, guys. That's stacking. That's handcuffing. Let's ring the bell on that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, sleepers and busts. And I mean that in conjunction with our draft and other things you've seen, Scott. You know, what, what players did you see off the board earlier than you thought they would and you think might be busts? What players did you see go off the board much later than you thought they would and you think are excellent values and may, may actually even qualify as sleepers at this point? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna call myself out a little bit because I, I I think I took you know I took a risk, but like we talked about in this in this format, um, you can take a little bit bit of risk. I mean, Saquon Barkley yep. is a rookie, you know, and, and that's yep. there's obvious risk there. So I think that's definitely somebody that that could end up as a bust. Um, you know, I was a little surprised uh, that that I was able to grab the first quarterback. Um, I guess it would be a sleeper. I mean, Aaron Rodgers come off the board in the third round, so that's uh, <laughs> that's not yeah, really a sleeper. Well. <laughs> but I, I was surprised, you know, coming around in the third round that he was still on the board. Um, right. You know, I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I think the Cook situation at this point is interesting. One guy I've got an eye on um, that I'm surprised is, is down so low is, is Nelson Aguilar. I mean, here's mm-hmm. a guy who, who performed well. And he's he's on a he's in a good situation, and you know I see some receivers going ahead of him, and he's right. coming off the board, you know, at the tail end of the ninth round. Right, I think right. The better Alshon Def- Jeffrey performs, you know, the better he's going to do. I mean, you you look at our league, he's he's coming off the board after Crabtree, after Fuller, uh, you know, after some of these guys late in the ninth round, and you know he was on my list. I, unfortunately, he went off the board literally the pick right before you mine. <laughs> and I ended up having to go with uh, Jameson Crowder, which is fine. Um, right. But I had him teed up and I thought for sure he was going to fall to me. Cause I, I'm just not, I, I don't know. I've got to go back and see what I'm missing here, but this is a guy that had, you know, almost a hundred targets last year. Who's going to benefit, you know, from a good offense with a, with a solid tight end and another receiver on the other side, he's going to get the mm-hmm. volume, but, for some reason, he's way down here at the back end. So I, I, that's somebody I definitely have circled to to make sure I'm not missing anything on, um, yep. and and you know see something that that I'm missing. But you know some other bust bust early on. I mean you got a big risk with Odell, right? I mean he's yeah. he's kind of teed up there with uh, Saquon Barkley. Hopefully he you know Odell takes some pressure off, so he's a risk there at eight. Um, right. And then Cook, you know, in the second round. I think he was off to a good season. I think he'll be fine, but he was hurt early on. So yeah, coming off injury. Yeah, still early. Yep. We've got a lot of off season to go. We're going to have some cuts coming up. We're going to have preseason, you know, risk of injury. So we've got to keep an eye on where things go between now and the start of the season to see, see what new information comes out and who may end up. I mean, Ingram, like you said, just got suspended. I mean, now we've got, right. you know, we got a long, a lot of nights, to go out and get in trouble between now <laughs> and August. Yeah, I know. You're not kidding. There's a long runway. Now, I will also call out that I thought that your pick of Jameson Crowder 
uh, in the very last week of the ninth round was actually really good because he, he actually is kind of looking like he's going to be the number one target in Washington for Alex Smith. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. And coming off that late in the draft, getting a number one wide receiver is not really a bad thing. I think also Devontae Parker uh, in Miami, since they no longer have uh, Jarvis Landry there uh, at, at the beginning of 10th round, also a relatively good value. Uh, and then another pick, this is by, by Nick Spatz over at uh, Beerfield Fantasy Football Podcast. He ended up picking Pierre Garçon at uh, the middle of the 10th round. I thought that was also a good value. I mean, he's also looking like he might be the number one target in, in the 49ers and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, that could be really interesting as well. Um, others that I thought were you know, a little bit questionable, I know that Ryan took Nick Chubb. I love, love, love Nick Chubb, but he's in a weird situation over in Cleveland. They did sign Carlos Hyde for a lot of money. And they still have Duke Johnson there, who is going to be very productive. And I think you mentioned that as well. So, you know, I, I'm just not sure what you're going to get out of a rookie, uh, even though he's going off the board in the 11th round. So, yeah, a lot of interesting, lot of interesting developments in the draft. It was been a, it's been a really interesting exercise. We still got many rounds, seven more rounds to go. Uh, that actually, uh, by the way, is all the time we got. I can't believe it, but we've basically got to the very end of the show talking just fantasy football, which I love because you know I really miss it. So let's more the on the show and well go ahead uh why don't you give us scott your um social media account so people can follow you uh sure i'm on twitter at uh nfl fantasy underscore more uh i'm on there all the time talking fantasy football regular football making picks and uh always a little bit on the on the more side too so uh look forward <laughs> to interacting with anybody and, and talking football and and uh you know it's it's exciting that we're back in it, and uh, I'm glad to be talking football, that's for sure. Yeah, well, Scott, thanks for joining us on the show, and I know we're going to get you back on here more frequently now that we finally broke the barrier and got you on here for the first time. Thanks for everything you've done for the Football Garbage Time website and for everything that uh, we are today. You can find me at FB Garbage Time and follow us. Follow the rest of our draft at hashtag FGTMFL. We got, like I said, seven more rounds to pick, and we're going to drop more knowledge on you uh, in the offseason about your fantasy football drafts. And until next time, enjoy your NFL week.